and we are back for season four. Kylie Dixon here, founder of the Northern Lass Lounge. And let me tell you, have we stepped it up a notch, lasses. So many exciting things going on, but most importantly, more amazing business lasses to chat to and share their stories. Talking about sharing, please do us a favour if you haven't already. I know people bang on about this all the time, but it helps us massively. Please follow our podcast or like it depending on whichever platform you're on and share it to another business person anybody who you think will benefit from us and leave us a cheeky little five-star review if you're new to lounging with the lasses and you like our crack then come on over to the best place on the internet where it all began the northern last lounge on facebook you can find us on instagram linkedin and there's a whole load of information on our website www.thenorthernlastlounge.com Today I'm lounging with Heather Harker-Smith, owner of a beautiful and successful bridal boutique in Coxaw, Durham, Alice Elizabeth Bridal. Today Heather shares a wealth of life experiences which have inadvertently led her to where she is today as a passionate, headstrong and incredibly inspiring entrepreneur. From feeling like she had lost everything when her husband left her with four children, dealing with understanding her ADHD brain, to coping with the loss of her beloved dad, Heather has remained driven and determined to create her own future for her and her family. What was just so touching in this episode, lasses, is to hear how incredibly passionate Heather is about seeing the best possible outcome in other people's troubling situations and knowing how to support people in the right way and in particular brides-to-be in big life decisions. Wow Heather how long has it been since we've actually spoke? Oh yeah do you know I cannot remember we've done a couple of one-to-ones haven't we? Yeah so we're gonna we're gonna talk about um when you came into the lounge later in the in the interview and also like how you found us and everything but I can't wait to hear what you've been up to because I know we do we do have little chats in messenger and I know you've you've worked with the team and stuff um so I'm excited to hear where your journey's going to but for now Heather let us know what you do and what your business is so um I own Alice Elizabeth's bridal in Coxall in County Durham and I sell wedding dresses I design some wedding dresses we design our own flower girl dresses and we have a studio up the street from the boutique where we do all the alterations um we, we do the whole, whole thing we do everything from start to finish yeah um yeah I, I like to I'm a little bit of a control freak when it comes to the dresses and I like to think that once you've bought a dress off us we take control of everything and you said, but when we've been talking before is, and I want you to, to get this across when I'm asking you is, because you've got a real passion for making people feel amazing, haven't you? So tell us about like the experience a bride would get when they come into your, into your shop. Into your business. Right, okay. I think that is, that's exactly why I do what I do. It's not about, I mean, I love wedding dresses, stone girls wrong, I love brides. But I love to make people feel the best they've ever felt. And I, I, my main thing is 
most brides who come in are scared, they're nervous, they look like they're going to the dentist. Yeah. Um, they, they're terrified. And I just love it when I can make them feel relaxed and enjoy the whole experience. And I like to empower them to choose the dress that's right for them. Yeah. That's what it's all about for me. I don't like, you know, you, you, sometimes people bring just the mum. Sometimes they bring, bring the mum and the grandma. I love a good grandma. She says it like it is. Um, sometimes they bring bridesmaids and and you've got to kind of gauge the group. You know, it depending on who they bring. It's different every single time. But the one thing that's always the same is the bride is scared. They're scared of the unknown. You know, they, they, they might have been to other shops, so they might have come down a little bit. But generally, they, 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 they're all worried about the same thing. What if I don't find something I like? What if... Um, or have a look awful in everything. Um, what if he doesn't like what I, what I wear, which I always think is crazy, right? Because our men love us just the way we are, don't they? Of course I always think that's mad. You know, yeah. they, they go, oh, I tell him everything. And, and I wish I could tell him about the dress to see which one he likes. And I think he's not going to care. He's going to see you walk down the aisle and just think you're the most beautiful thing he's ever seen. Um. So, yeah, it's kind of, I, I just, I love every bit of it, but my main passion is empowering a bride to choose what she wants and kind of not listen to all those people that are with her. Yeah. And, and, and I don't want that to come over as they're not important, because they are. And it is a lovely experience. It's lovely to say I had my mum with us, I had my grandma with us, I had my sister with us, I had my friend with us. But ultimately, you choose your dress based on how you feel, and that's it. And they don't feel what you feel. Yeah. And it's like, I always say, um, some, some of the things I say probably sound a bit mad, right? But I'll say it to them. It's like when you met him or her, right? Um, you you might not have known straight away. You might have had to go on a second date to find out or a third date. It's true. the same with your dress. <laughs> when you first put a dress on, you might think, well, I quite like this. What we do is we try dresses on, we keep your favourites to one side and we go back to them at the end. When you put them on it again, sometimes you're like, oh, I didn't like this at all. Mm -hmm. So you don't go on a second date. <laughs> that's it, that's yeah. it. game over. Yeah. Or actually, I really like this and I was a bit like that before. Um, so it's the same as when you meet the right person. It's the same. And that's all about feeling, isn't it? Yeah. You don't meet the right person and then say, oh, by the way, next Saturday, I want you to come and meet me mum, me grandma, all my bridesmaids, all my friends. Don't mention bridesmaids to them on the second date. <laughs> <laughs> all my friends, um, you know, all these people that you think, you think they've got an opinion on your wedding dress. You wouldn't do that with your fella no. or, your, or your girlfriend, would you? No. You base it on how you feel and it's, it's exactly the same thing. Yeah. When you go to view a house, you either see yourself living there or you feel, mm, do you know what I mean? I don't like the feeling here. The most important decisions we make in our lives are all based on how we feel. And that's really, yeah. Uh, that's the same as choosing your wedding dress. Yeah. And you can say, oh, what do you think? Do you like that one or do you like this one? But it doesn't matter because the people who love you the most, when they see you in the dress that makes you feel the best you've ever felt, they're going to love that. Yeah. They're going to love that whole picture. Yeah. Not whether the neckline's right or, well, I would have had a bigger train. None of that matters. 
it's how it makes you feel because that shows in you and and they kind of deny that you know when they see it they kind of deny it you so, must you must get the same like it must be fascinating to get that insight into that that whole, you get part of the family situation don't you yeah you're almost yeah. like a counselor it, it is yes and I, it took me a long time to realize that but it's it's psycho it's, it's very psychological the whole yeah. journey of choosing a dress psychological uh -huh. and i'm really good at reading the room yeah um when people walk in i can see who's going to be the prickly one <laughs> and see who's going to be the one that's not going to like anything she puts on uh -huh. you know what i mean i can see it and i can read them and it's about managing that because everybody's coming from a different place yeah. you know everybody's got a story that we don't know about um and yeah you do you get to you get to feel very quickly what's going on yeah. with the people the people they bring that's a skill isn't it you've, yeah. you've almost developed a skill that'll help you in all walks of life really and it, yeah and it does and i think i think that goes back to i grew up in my mum and dad had a general dealer shop right um and my mum i was going to say my mum didn't like it that's not true and um, my mum and dad made friends for life in that shop but my dad loved it and um, my mum found it very tying do you know what i mean she, she loved when she was in there but the, the shop literally was the front of our house was the shop and we right. lived behind and we'd get people knocking on the door at nine o'clock at night they have run out of low roll <laughs> like and so you never switched off <laughs> um but my dad loved it and my dad loved people and he could read people um and like he, quick example, right? The doctor's wife down the street, she was a bit posh. He used to polish the golden, the, the red apples, right? Because he knew she'd buy more if they were shiny. <laughs> like he, there was different people he would do different things for because he could read people. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I don't know whether that's obviously he learned that or whether he was born with it, whether I learned it off him, but I just love people. I find people fascinating. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. So, why bridal then, Heather? Why did you go into it? So, uh, my grandma was a tailoress and my mum was an upholsterist. So I grew up, I can't remember learning to sew. I must have learned to sew so young, I just can't remember learning. One of my very first memories is sitting on my bed in a house we lived, we moved out of when I was seven. So it was before that. And I was making clothes for me Cindy and paper dolls. Way before Barbie. <laughs> um, I don't even know Barbie. I don't know how old Barbie is, but it was Cindy and Pippa dolls for me. And I used to get the scraps off wherever they'd been sewn. Right. And I used to make clothes for my dolls. Um, my grandma would make anything. Like she, a man, they would bring a man's coat and my grandma would take it apart and cut it down and make it into a child's coat. She was so clever. Um, my mum used to make the most fabulous curtains. She could cover a settee. She trained in bins. Um, they were two really clever women and they just must have taught us because I can't remember. Can't remember learning. Yeah. Um, I used to make my own clothes. When I was a teenager, I'd go to cloth in Durham and I'd buy a piece of fabric on my way home from college and I'd go out with it on a Friday night. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd just make something that day and go out in it. Um, and I, I liked to be different. I liked, um, I just, I just, 
didn't like wearing the same stuff as everybody else. And I think that went back to me mum and dad because they used to like us to be different. Yeah. Christmas parties, my mum used to make us the most gorgeous dresses. Um. Anyway, when I was 15, I think I was 15, my auntie took us to London the year after Diana's wedding. And we went to, I think it was Clarence House. I might be making that up. It's a long time ago. But we went, we had to go and see the wedding presents first. So you walk through all these rooms of tat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> sure it wasn't tat, but there was like animal sculptures from sultans. And I remember walking around thinking, just get me to the end of this. This is so boring. And when you got to the end, we went into this big room and there was a glass cabinet with Diana's dressing room. And it was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen in my life. And I know a lot of people hated it, but when you saw it in real life, the work on that was just incredible. I'd never seen anything like it. Sparkly veils now, I've been selling sparkly veils for years, but you're talking, you know, 1980, 1981, wasn't it? She was married. You'd never seen stuff like that. My grandma had made wedding dresses and she'd made bridesmaid dresses. Um, all of the families, she made them. And I had never seen anything like that. The train was from one end of the room to the next. And I just stood there and I looked out and I thought, well, I said, I'm going to make wedding dresses. I'm going to make wedding dresses. And that was it. And, and I did. And then last year or the year before, I think it might have been last year, me and David and Alice and a friend went to London and we went to Kensington Palace and we saw it again. And I felt exactly the same again. Like my eyes filled up, and David, David said, because I told him this story a million times, and he went to saying, "I know what you mean now. I can see it in your face." And I just looked at it, but then I looked at it in a totally different way because I looked at it and I thought, "All these years later, I did it." You yeah. know, a fifteen-year-old kid looking at that dress, saying, "I'm going to wear wedding dresses," and here I am, and I did. Yes, you did get it. Huh? But I hadn't kind of, I hadn't kind of. Put that together yeah. do you know what i mean that if you decide you're going to do something yeah and you really want to do it you will yeah of course you do and um, from, and from i've that, never lost it i've got goosebumps there just thinking about it i can't i, I still do i, I have <laughs> say i've seen the dress on like um videos and stuff like yeah. that but i was only born in 81 so <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> My mum was obsessed with Diana and that, so um, I have seen all of her dresses and how she how she was styled and stuff like that. So how does Heather go from right fifteen year old Heather going right? I'm going to do that. That's what I'm going to do. How did the how do you then evolve and develop into this amazing business, Alice Elizabeth Bride? Or what what steps did you go through to get there? Um, I'm crap at planning. <laughs> Every. I'm just going to say, <laughs> I might, might have an inkling of this, you know. Yeah, I am crap at planning. And I just think that I just make my mind up and it happens. I just do it, you know. Yeah. I guess I've been manifesting all my life. I just didn't know what that meant. Yeah. Um. So I think I was 19. And I, so I, back then, um. You were kind of encouraged to get a job for life. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I went to work at National Savings in Durham. for sports stuff. But I met some really good people. <laughs> <laughs> people I still keep in touch with now. Um, but I always sold. And on a night I went to, to, to 
New College Durham and I did Pattern And then this kind of all happened about the same time. I got married. I've been married twice. I got married when I was 20 and I made my own wedding dress. So I designed and made my own wedding dress when I was 20. Um, and I just loved everything about doing that because I knew nobody else would ever have the same dress as me. That was, yeah. that was the main thing. Um, my mum and dad took us up to Janty Toys up in Washington. My fabric yeah. was my yeah. fabric was £35. <laughs> and I had this Duchess satin massive skirt. It was just, it was gorgeous. I've been married twice and I've still got it. And I won't part with it because it was the first wedding dress yeah. that I ever made. Yeah. Every pearl was stitched on by hand. I, I just, I loved it. Um, so from then, even though I was still working, I kind of, people got to know. So it was, will you make me bridesmaid dresses? Will you, at cousins, I made their wedding dresses. Um, I never, I, I don't even know if I thought about charging. I would get like a bouquet and a box of chocolates. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? For making somebody's dress. Um, but I don't even think money was a thing didn't think about it. I, I had a job and I just loved doing it. And then gradually, so I, I ended up, I had Jamie first and then I had Tim. Um, there's only like three and a half years between them and I didn't want to go back to work when I had Tim. Um, I, it would have just cost us too much in childcare. Well, my mum and dad helped me, auntie helped look after, look after Jamie, but I didn't want to put two kids on. So I started sewing in the house and it just gradually went from that. Um then I opened a boutique when I got the keys for my first boutique on the same day as I found out I was pregnant with my third child. Oh gosh. <laughs> Which was a bit of a surprise. Yeah. And I thought, oh shit, what have I done? But I'd signed the lease, I had the keys, so I'll make it work. And I did, and, and I loved it. Um that was 1995. And then it, it, it grew and I think I learned every, I made every mistake you possibly could in that business. Mm -hmm. And um, I learned, learned from them all. Anyway, move on a few years and my first marriage broke down and I, I needed to know I was on my own with three kids. I needed to know that I had a, a wage, a regular wage coming in because as you know, self-employed and especially in the bridal business, it was seasonal. It's yeah. better now. But back then, everybody got married in the summer. Yeah. Might get like two weddings in the winter and it and it was like that. Um and so I, I finished that and I went and this is me, I'm I'm really resourceful, right? I finished, I went home and I phoned Empower was just opening and I phoned Empower and I had a telephone interview that afternoon. They rang us back that night and offered us a job and I went to work at Empower. Um hated the whole call centre this, this is a theme on your podcast isn't it we're all working bloody call centre yeah. I hated the whole call centre like not the environment I loved the people yeah I loved the customers yeah and I and pretty quickly I used to get all the um the callbacks to people who had problems because I'm really good problem solver and I like to see things through to the end and I wouldn't hang up until I'd solved that problem. Mm -hmm. And I used to get loads of like little old biddies who were like, yeah, I can't believe it. I've rang. I don't know how many times and nobody's helped. And, and you've, you've sorted out for us. I would give me full name and yeah. you weren't supposed to. 
and mm -hmm. I'd give me I'd give me extension number because I used to hate the thoughts of like a little old man or woman ringing back and talking to somebody and them undoing everything I'd yeah. done or not being able to help them. Anyway, I'd only been there six months and they asked us if I would um, like to train as a team manager. And that's what I did. And um, I, then I had all the manager callbacks. People would be like, you ring this person back. And I loved it. I loved that. And, but that goes back to loving people and solving problems and um, helping people make, feel, make them feel better. Yeah. Because you, know, you yeah. solved the problem. Um, so there is like a theme. Um, then I got the opportunity to teach sewing on the community. And I used to, for the college, and I used to go to like, um, what were they? They were like, there was different places in different villages where women came together and had coffee mornings and stuff like that. And I would go in and I would teach them to sew. But then we used to do soft furnishings. We'd do cushions, um, craft, more craft things. Um, and again, it was people, you know, being with people. And I, I loved it. Then, yeah, I've done all sorts, mate. So then I met Alice's dad and he worked away. And after a lot of turning and throwing, um, he persuaded us to go and move to Suffolk. And my oldest son was 18 at the time. He stayed with his dad, but my eldest two um, came with us. And I mean, Tim was 14. And Olivia was um, 10 at the time. And I settled them into new schools. We're just getting ready to move. And I found out I was pregnant. Oh, God. <laughs> and I was 39. I had an 18-year-old, a 14-year-old, and a 10-year-old. And I found out I was pregnant. And moved to Ipswich and started what I thought was going to be a whole new life. But it didn't work out. Um, it was probably one of the worst times of my life. At the time, mm -hmm. I would have said, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Um, I knew while I was pregnant that things weren't right. Um, he basically didn't want to be a parent. Right. Um, he'd he'd realised once, once it was going to happen and um, asked us to come back. So I came back here, I'd give up my job, I'd give up, I'd sold my car. I literally came back to County Durham um, with three kids, one of them a five and a half month old baby. And I didn't have, to quote my dad, two pennies to scratch my ass with. Yeah. Had nothing. But what I did have was I had my little house I'd bought um, because I, I couldn't sell it. it. It wouldn't sell, so I rented it uh -huh. um, and somebody was living in it. So I come back and... Moved to my mum and dad's two-bedroom bungalow. The my sons went, my older son went and stayed with his dad. They kind of came and you know, come and go, came and went. And um, yeah, that was the worst time of my life. But I'm very much one of these people, and I, I couldn't have got through that without the help of my mum and dad and my family and a wonderful, wonderful woman who did holistic therapies. Right. And she she used to like come to my mum's and she'd do reflexology and um aromatherapy massages and things. Um but what I didn't realise at the time was she was counselling us as well. Do you know what I mean? Right. She was she was getting us to talk, she was getting us to open up. There was a time back then when I remember thinking if I could just go to sleep and not wake up. Oh. 
life would be all right. But I had four kids who yeah. I adored more than anything, and they were what kept us going. But I just remember thinking, I don't know how I'm going to, I don't know how I'm ever going to feel better. But what I have come to realise in my life is when the chips are down and things are the worst, that's when I come into my own. Yeah. And eventually I start to think, I'll show you. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I will show you. I'll show the world that I won't be beaten. And gradually I got back in my little house. So my house was a two-bedroom terrace. So there's me and four kids. That was a scream. <laughs> um, and do you know what? Like, if I think back to then, it once I pulled myself together, it was one of the happiest times of my life. It really was. We we didn't have much, um, but we, like it was just great. I'm saying we didn't have much. It makes it sound like I was like on the bones of me. Sometimes I was on the bones of me. Yeah. But again, resourceful. I got a little job, which meant I got some help with Alice going to nursery um, with, through tax credits. And the lads were getting older. And I, I don't know, it just all, all kind of started to pick up um at that point i got back into bridal um went into partnership with somebody else and again learned lots of lessons don't ever go into partnership <laughs> oh. another one of me um little gems and unfortunately it was somebody i was exceptionally close to and it caused a, a massive rift and we didn't speak for a, a, a long time um, we did make our peace. Um, thank God, not long before she passed away. Um, I'm not going to go into all of that because it's a whole whole different thing. But um, again, learned lots of lessons. But walked away from that one day because things were really, really bad. I walked into Case Pattinson's and just said, "Have you got any jobs?" I don't know why Case Pattinson's, other than I've lived in seventeen houses in my life. <laughs> I love it. Because my dad loved to do houses up and once they were done up, he wanted to move on to the next one and do another one up. And um and we stayed in them for quite a few years, do you know what I mean? But he always had itchy feet. We used to say you should have had a bloody caravan. We should have just moved around. And I I ended up pretty much the same. I loved moving house. So I went in case patterns and just I walked, just walked in, the manager rested, I didn't know who she was. She was sitting at the front at the time and I just said, Have you got any jobs? And she just looked at us and she went, well, actually, I've got a, um, what somebody who works for us who wants to go part-time. Would you be interested in job share? And I went, yeah. What? How? <laughs> and she, she said, uh, can you, I can't remember what day it was, can you come back on such and such a day for an interview? I said, yeah, I'll be here. Um, and she offered us the job. And she is now one of my best friends. Like, I've, I, we ended up really, really close. Everybody I worked with there ended up really close with. Um. I ended up managing for them. I ended up being a manager, um, managing a, a store. I ended up training as a residential valuer, which I loved because a lot of similarities in what I do now. I would go from house to house, meeting people who were going to do a major thing in their life yeah. for lots of different reasons. Do you know what I mean? They were they were selling one home to move on, like to, to maybe... Um, downsize because you know the kids had left home or there'd be a family who wanted a, a bigger house because they bought that when they were first married and there was only the two of them sometimes I would go in and they were getting divorced 
and you know what they both be sitting there and I just have this ability to like spot what's going on and be able to diffuse the situation you know I, I, I remember this one in particular where he was living upstairs and she was living downstairs because <laughs> um they were getting divorced and and I I just, I, th I think a lot of people would say, I don't know how you do that. I'd have said, I'd, I wouldn't have known what to say. And I just think on my feet. Yeah. I'm always trying to solve people's problems, yeah. always. Um, And I could relate to everybody and I could mostly relate to people who were moving house because I've done it that many bloody times. Um, And whether, whether it was like a really fabulous thing that they were moving or a really sad thing, I could get to their level. I could empathise with them. I could always feel what they were feeling. Um, yeah, and I, and I absolutely loved that. That was one of my favourite jobs. I loved it. Um, loads of stuff came out of that, like, personal-wise. Met, met friends for life. Two of my best friends. One was my manager, one was the mortgage advisor, and they are two of my best friends. My other best friend uh, made her bridesmaid dresses. She came to my house when I was working from home. So, yeah, it's it's all, all connected, isn't it? It's like, it's like so I, I, you have heard me, Heather, say, if you don't take this a chance or if you feel uncomfortable about something, you're like, oh, I can never do that, I can never do that. Like, look at the amount of things you've done time and time and time and time and time again. And you've just gone with your gut, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, what's, what, and I know people say what's the worst that can happen, but to quote That's it. That's one of my, yeah, that's one of my favourite favorite scenes and you only regret what you don't do exactly because if you look back you think oh it's true isn't it you, you might think oh god i wish i'd i wish i'd done that yeah. but whenever you say like moving to suffolk right there's been times when i've said i wish i'd never bloody gone or i wish i'd never met him i wouldn't have alice you know what would my shop have been called would i've had my shop <laughs> but i didn't have alice I wouldn't have Alice Elizabeth, would I? Um, I wouldn't have seen that there's life out there, that there's lots of different people. And and I did learn an awful lot. Don't live as a narcissist. <laughs> Don't let people control you. You do, you, you just, you, you learn. You, you learn so much from everything that you do. Um, and, and that's life, isn't it? it? Look how it's shaped your future, though, everything. Oh, that's a lot of the lasses who I speak to and when I share my story and this is why it's so important to talk about your experiences on how you got to where you are because things don't happen overnight you don't get to no. this same situation do you I, I, no. I'm, I know I've got a hell of a lot long way to go still mm -hmm. yep. things, things are happening and you know you might not have reached where you want to go mm -hmm. like you've yep. got new things in your head and stuff it's like Every single challenge, ups and downs, and all kinds that will go through shapes where you end up being. And guys always says to us when I'm feeling a bit crappy, like I haven't been well ever for the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Than that, um, he always says like, life is just about getting from one end to the other. It is in the most fun way that you can. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it is, and it and it's not all fun, is it? And the shitty things will happen. But I, I just think you learn from all of them. But I say this to my kids, and I've said it since 
since he's, they chose the O levels, O levels, friggin' hell, you can see how old I am, JCSA. <laughs> whenever they took the options, I used to, I said to them, choose what you love doing. Yeah. Because if you enjoy doing it, they'll put the work in. If you hate doing it, you won't. And I and I hope and I know they they have like they've took that on when they've gone to college. Do you know what I mean? Um, looked for jobs. Do what you enjoy, because you you spend a lot of your time, most of your life, doing your job, mm -hmm. don't you? Yeah. And then and if it's not bringing you joy, you take that home, and you you feel crap at home as yeah. well. Mm -hmm. So Pattinson's um. Well, I was at Pattinson's, I bought, um, actually, I think I might have bought this before I went to Pattinson's, I bought a four-bedroomed house. So the in Pateley, I mean, it was run down. It was an ex-council house. Um, and I went and viewed it, and I could see it done. I get that from my dad. I can see, I can see this done. That's what I used to say. Jane, I can see this all done. <laughs> um and I, and I bought that and we all moved in and again, some of the happiest times of my life in that house with them kids, me on my own. I do think that being on my own taught us so much. Yeah. Um, I found out like who I was, what I wanted, how resilient I was um, and, and still am. Um, yeah, and, and and I, you know, people. I quite liked being a single parent. Like, there was only me to make the decisions. And I'm quite, I'm very open with my kids. I always have been. Um, it was always a case of, you know, you can tell us anything, and they used to, and still do. Tell us anything. Um, if I find out of somebody else, they'll be held on. If you've told us yourself. <laughs> that's different yeah. and 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 we still I mean Jake my oldest one's 37 this year and still to this day we, we're, we're just all really open and I don't know if we would have been like that if um if I'd stayed with Alice's dad we wouldn't have been because them three weren't his and I think that's that was different because it's different to when the only little and you meet somebody else but when they're grown up the people the adults they've got their own opinions and it did used to be sometimes kind of it was his way or the highway, and it wasn't. It's not like that with me. You know, my kids would say, "Mom, what do you think I should do? What, what shall I do about certain situations?" And I'll say, "What do you think you should do? It's your life. What feels right to you?" Alice will go, "Mom, sometimes I just want you to tell us what I should do." And I'll say, "But, <laughs> but if I tell you what to do and it goes wrong, I'm going to get the blame. If you decide for yourself and it goes wrong, you're going to learn something from it. Or if it goes right, then you think, oh." I did this. I made that decision myself. I, I can trust myself. Um, yeah, I, I did. I, I loved being on my own with the kids. We had the time of our lives. Um, the mates all used to come to our house. You know, it was just that. It was a lovely, lovely feeling. Um, and it was when I lived in that house that I met my husband now, David. Um, I met him on Match.com. Yes. <laughs> is it still there anyway um he, he, he says it was the best 30 quid he ever spent <laughs> did you can i ask though because i'm intrigued now did you go to like did you want more than one date oh god kylie honestly i don't know i don't know how much i can tell you but anyway 
I went I went on a canny few and it was actually I decided there was there was me and my cousin joined right and we had some right laughs that uh -huh. telling each other the tales of things that had happened. Um but I'd got to the point where I thought, how many more weirdos are there in the world? <laughs> and I thought I'm leaving. So I, I put on that I was leaving and I got this thing saying, um, we're gonna offer you 30 days free. I said, oh well, and that's when I met David. So if I had left, but I went, I went on a date with one. Right, he sang the whole date. What he sang, he sang the whole date? Yeah, I mean he did speak a few times, but um, yeah, he, he sang. He, he just used to sing, but um, but like I can't... as if he's talking, singing, or just... yeah, he'd be like um. <laughs> So let's go to the market tavern. That's what it was like. <laughs> Alice, Alice always gets us to tell this story. He sang all the way home, dropped us off, not in my street. I didn't want him to know where I lived. Oh, and, he, and he sang, um, he sang, I'll, I'll message you and we'll see each other again. I was walking up the street thinking, oh, no, we won't. <laughs> That's brilliant. I think yeah. I like him. I think <laughs> sing. I think it was from Hartlepool. I can't remember. Anyway, um, so we had this. Um, this is going to sound awful, but we had this pact that we had a dead grandma, right? Which we did because our our mutual grandma had died years before, and if things were really bad, we'd go to the toilet and we'd text the other one and say. Um, dead grandma and the other one would ring and say your grandma's dead mm -hmm. like yeah i'm gonna to have to call me grandma's dead like she died yes before bless her god rest her soul um but that was that was our pact if anything ever got like yeah. i mean nothing got really bad but you know what i mean but we just saw it as like fun uh, you know and you never know do you no. but um yeah, and she had some right. Yeah, it was weird. It was. I mean, it I'm was at, weird. I'm at the Ben Star one. Like oh, I can't remember what it was called. It was something similar. I can't. I can't remember what that what that app was called. Uh, obviously, that didn't work out. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> I got Jake out of it, didn't I? <laughs> so I, I met David. Um, I guess on Match dot com, um, and we, we went on a, on a few dates, and you just know, don't you? I don't know if I, I don't know like if I knew it was going to be forever, but I, I just, he had the same, oh, he's the one. So Karen, who I was telling you about, the girl who did all the holistic things, right? While she was working with us and I used to talk about, I used to say, I'll never trust a man again. Like, that's it. I'm on my own for the rest of my life. And she used to say, don't, you know, never say never kind of thing. And I remember this one time she's, I used to have a notebook. I'd write things down that she said to us. And she said, I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to write down. I just want you to write at the top, my ideal man. And write everything you want in an ideal man and date it. <clears throat> and I did. And I wrote down the top. The first thing was he had to be a good dad. That was my main thing. He had to be a dad and he had to be a good dad. Um, he had to be generous and patient. And I wrote down all these things. And I put the book away and I honestly completely forgot about it. Um, that's that I'll come to that in a minute, me forgetting things. Um, so yeah, the book went away and time went on. Anyway, the first time I went to his house, 
and I think we were in a taxi and he gave his address and I was thinking, yeah, that address rings a bell. That address rings a bell. It only turned out I sold him the bloody house when I worked at Pattinson's. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we didn't actually meet. Somebody else had shown him round, but I'd done all the negotiating on the phone, so I'd spoken to him. I, I can still remember ringing him up to say the couple who were leaving had found the term who were quite old, wanted to know if he wanted to buy in the mahogany dining room furniture. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember looking on the screen at the dining room thinking, yeah, I wonder how old this bloke is. I don't know, he might be insulted. I don't know what to say to him. And I, and I rang him up and I said, uh, hello, Mr. Smith. I said, um, it's just Heather from Parkinson's. I've had the vendors on of the addressing. Um, they want to know if he would like to buy some of the furniture. And he laughed. <laughs> and uh, he said, which, which furniture in particular? And I said, the dining room furniture. And he said, if you just tell them that I'm, I'm sorted, I've got my own stuff, thanks. <laughs> and now, now that I know David the way he is, that was like, is really tactful. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was chewing myself, looking, thinking, I don't know what I'm going to say when I go back to them, you know. Um, so, yeah, and then, so Alice was four, four and a half when I met David. She can't remember anybody else in her life. He's just always been there. She, you know, she called him David, but he's had a, he's done all the dad things. Um so yeah, that's how I met Dave, and I can't even remember where I was supposed to be going with this and how we started. <laughs> honestly, don't worry about that because uh, I love finding out all these things. That honestly, people will be listening though, Heather, and they'll just be laughing, and it's just really heartwarming and, and definitely relevant to the uh, to the podcast. So uh, what, back in the bridal, yeah. But what I wanted to say though, before we get on to like how your business runs and stuff like that. You've mentioned the word resilience a few times. Um, and I know when you've walked into the show, <clears throat> you've had some quite significant life changes, haven't you? Um, that you've had to manage through. So tell us about some of those. And I'm sure this will tap into the fact that you've just said you keep forgetting things. So yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Um November 2021. Actually, I'm I'm going to go back a little bit. I'm going to go back to the beginning of lockdown. Um, so my dad had been poorly for years, since his late 40s. He, he had um, started with angina and he ended up, he had nine heart attacks, two heart bypasses, um, loads and loads of, it was all, it was his heart. Um, but if you'd ever seen my dad, you would never know he was poorly. He was always up, dressed, showered, hair done, Always dressed lovely, always smelt lovely. House was in, bungalow was immaculate. My dad refused to ever give in to illness. Um, if somebody told, if they said you're not going to be able to do this, he'd be like, I'll show you. Um, but my mum um, started with Alzheimer's in our 60s. My dad spotted this. I mean, we all spotted little things first um, because we got her mum. Had, had it as well so that's my grandma who was the tailoress um she'd start and she had alzheimer's and i think when you've been through it once you spot the symptoms don't you so um we went and kind of tried to get her assessed quite early because at that point they were talking about this wonder drug arecept and you know all of that so they, they did lots of physical um 
examinations first to try and find out if there's anything underlying. And they, were, they did find some things, but and we, we hung on to everything thinking, if, you know, that might be it and she might be all right, but it wasn't. However, because of how amazing my dad was with my mum and everything the, the doctor said my dad did, he put everything in the same place. He had a routine the same time every day they, they did stuff. My mum's um, decline was extremely slow. I, I think, we were just talking about this the other day, I think it's about 17 years since my mum was diagnosed. And at the beginning of lockdown, even though like she'd fell in the house and she'd start to do some really daft things, she still knew who we all were. Um, and, you know, I think when as long as that's happening, life can go on but it was really hard for me dad my mum was quite a, a big woman compared to him and so I used to go every day and, and help um, and my younger brother would, would go every day as well and then we found out lockdown was going to happen and it was only going to be for three weeks wasn't it so with the, uh, my mum had carers coming in um, and which my dad hated but it got to the point where he couldn't shower her and, you know, there was things things that my dad couldn't do and I wasn't always there to do that. So the carers were coming in and the social worker said that, although it looked like I wouldn't be able to go and our kids wouldn't be able to go, the carers would still go. And my first thought was, carers are going to go from house to house. So I kind of go, but the carers are going to go from house to house. What if they carry it in? And my dad was physically, my, my dad was kind of at risk. Um because he was in heart failure, he was diabetic, um, where my mum physically was fine, it was mentally. So we were kind of, what what, what can we do? And it was suggested that my mum went into respite care in a home for the three weeks. Um, so we told my mum she was having a little holiday and these they were married. It was, a, it was a wedding anniversary yesterday. It would have been 62 year yesterday. And my mum and dad did nothing apart, like nothing. My dad never, neither of them ever drank. Um, so they never went, he never went to the pub or anything like that. They literally did everything together. They were like, when you hear people talk about soulmates, that's what they were. And they could like, my dad could feel if my mum was upset and, yeah. and vice versa. They were just uh, the, the most fabulous couple. So my mum went into um, a home. And she went in, like, quite happy. She spotted somebody from the day centre. So she went in quite happy. And, you know, we could go out the window and whether because they soon shut their homes down, didn't they? Um, I can't even remember back then whether we could still go in. Anyway, that was the end of March, wasn't it? I think it was the April she got COVID in the home. And she just... And she was locked in for a year we could only go out the window and by the time we could get in she she you knew she knew us but i don't think she i don't know i know i when she used to say me dad she'd still laugh and carry on and i could my mum hated like any rude word at all so for a long time we knew if we could get her to tell us off for swearing that she was still my mum do you know what i mean but the decline was ter terrible um that particular home that she was in didn't look after her properly. We found out after that 14 people had died in the home that the staff had been going from room to room without changing their um, 
the PPE stuff, the, the pennies and all of that. And she needed to be in full nursing care and she went to the Hawthorns in Peterley, which is where she is now. So that was the beginning of 2020. It was March 2020. The fall, so the the next after that, um, I've always been extremely close to my dad. I'm proper daddy's girl. I'm the only girl, and I did everything with him, like everything. My day off, we went out for our dinners. I'd take him to the home. Our kids would take him to the home as well. He went to home every day. He'd go with his bunch of flowers. He would cut flowers out the garden from rose bushes that my dad given for different anniversaries. My dad was the most thoughtful fellow. He adored me, man, but his heart was broken, and it was it was a really hard year. And then in the November, um, he went to answer the phone and he fell and he broke his hip. And he went to the RVI, they operated that night and the operation was a success. And they let me in after and I, so this was November the 3rd, 21. And I, I went in, they let me, cause it was still kind of, you know, you couldn't have loads of visitors. I went in and I sat with him and um, it was my mum's birthday the next day. And I, I said to him, right dad, I said, uh, you've made it, you know, you've come through and, um, you've just got to get better and me and David bought this house it's a big old house that we renovated and the room I'm sitting in now was going to be my dad's room because he was going to come and live with us and um, he says they've been round and they've said um, I kind of go home I kind of go to the bungalow because I live on my own I went well there you go your decision's made because he was still kind of don't know if I want to give up my independence I said you'll have to come and live with me and he was saying like, what about our kids I said well you can come and see you every day because I used to go every day and um, we, we had this little plan sorted and then I said right I'm going to go home I said it's Thursday tomorrow it's fitting day it's my busiest day I'll be in but I don't know what time I said well first thing I'm going to go and pick your flowers up from the florist I'm going to go and pick my mum's birthday cake up I'll have to write your card we bought it but he hadn't written it and I'll go at the home and he went oh hell I like it dawned on him that it was my mum's birthday I said so we'll go and see my mum for our birthday and I said I'll be in and then I got the phone call three o'clock in the morning to say dad God. And he'd had, a, he'd had a cardiac arrest and um that was it. Life's never been the same again. So it comes out together. Um and I even though he'd been poorly from like being in his forties, you know, um and he was 80, 81. Um you just you thought he was he thought he was invincible. So we thought he wasn't. I think it was really it seemed really unfair that we got through the operation and and we'd had this like you're gonna come and live with me and we're gonna do this and we're gonna do that. And then I get comfort from thinking that's how we went to sleep, you know, with all these these plans. So um I chucked myself into arranging his funeral and I even I wrote his eulogy and I stood up and read it. Now I think how the hell I don't know how I did it, but it was kind of the last thing I can do for him. I've done everything for him. I can still do things for him. And then when the funeral was over, like a lot of people have said to us, I just hit rock bottom. And on the New Year's Eve, I honestly thought I'd lost the plot. I thought I'd gone star and mad. I didn't want to go to bed on the New Year's Eve because, and I didn't know this at the time, I just couldn't understand why I was feeling the way I was. But when I could eventually verbalise how I was feeling, I didn't want the next day to come because that was 2022 and my dad would never be in 2022. I felt like I was like leaving him behind. I didn't want to go into a year where I was never going to see him. 
and it was and David I said to David I, I just can't I can't tell you what my head's like and he said I think you need to get somebody to talk to so through a friend I found a, a, a therapist a counsellor and I went to see her in the January and it was great because I could just like see all the things that I I didn't say to the family because I think I thought these would think I was mad <laughs> Can't, I can't even tell you some of the things, but I was like paralyzed in life. I, I couldn't, couldn't, I was in, I, I, it was, yeah, I was paralyzed. I used to sit on the set and I just couldn't do anything. I couldn't, there was just nothing. It was, it was really, really hard. And it's hard to explain now when you don't feel like that now. And in the February, I said something to her. And she said, has anybody ever, suggested to you that you might have ADHD and I just looked at her and, and I was insulted and I, I actually I went not only I'm really insulted and she laughed and she said why and I said well because I just associate associate that with naughty boys <laughs> and she laughed and she said go home and read about how it presents itself in girls and women and of course I went down the rabbit hole I, I downloaded books on Audible, I was on the internet, I ordered books off Amazon, and I was just like, oh my God, this is me. Well, the fact and that you've gone home and downloaded all these things and ordered... <laughs> <laughs> oh, hyper focus on having ADHD. Um, but like, when I went back the next week to see her, I just, I said, I can't, I can't believe that... It's, nobody's ever like put two and two. It, it just it was eye opening. My life made total sense. And she said to us, you know, there's a process now, and um, you'll probably go through a grieving process of what your life could have been if you'd known when you were younger. But here we are. I mean, that was so. That was February last year when she said it. Yeah. And I was actually diagnosed on the Thursday before Christmas last year. Um, I've never had that grieving thing. I, I, I just, I, to me, that's absolute bollocks. Because if I'd known I had ADHD when I was a kid, I'd have been branded. And I might have thought to myself, oh, it's no good me trying to do that because I've got ADHD. Yeah. I've literally... Decided I wanted to do, so. I've took risks. My whole life I've took risks. Not like jumping out airplanes, stuff like that. Nothing dangerous, life-threatening dangerous. But I've just thought, I'm going to own the bridal shop. Do you know what I mean? Well, that's an entrepreneur, though. That's how entrepreneurs yeah. think. And it is. A lot of entrepreneurs tend to have ADHD. ADHD, Richard Branson. Yeah. yeah you know? Um, so, yeah, it just, just made sense. But I don't agree with the um, attention deficit. I think we've got the opposite. I've got too much bloody attention. So this is this is something that comes up quite a lot when I'm talking to people. Or so I had a very similar situation when I was doing a live once. God, three three or four years ago, and someone sent us on on the live. Have you have you actually looked into whether you've got ADHD? Now nobody was talking about it or bandying it about at the time, right? Like we are now, and that's another whole situation that I don't. Yeah mind um and I, I was like a bit eh I, I wouldn't be now right because I understand it but I was like well 
like one of my naughty cousins had that. Do you know? Do you know? Do you know what I mean? So uh-huh. I didn't really understand what it was all about. But what I, because I, I, I'm not going to go and get a diagnosed or anything like that. I'd, like I don't feel I need to for whatever reason. That's just my personal preference. Um, what I'm really interested though, Heather, is how now that you have had a diagnosed, now that you understand it, how has that helped your life? How has it helped your awareness? Right. Um, I was like you. I thought once I read, I thought oh, I don't need to be diagnosed. Yes. It's there, for, it's there in black and white. I know. I, and one of the things I read was if you've got it, one or possibly both of your parents had it. And I just thought, oh, my dad definitely had ADHD. <laughs> um, but my dad was like a naughty boy. Do you know what I mean? I was a goody two shoes. I, I hated the thoughts of like disappointing anybody or. I was a people pleaser. My dad was a people pleaser, but we were different. Um, but it's the awareness. So so I, I was like, I don't need to be diagnosed because I know I've got it. But until um, something just kept coming up in my mind that, well, what if it isn't? What if it's something else? Do you know what I mean? And, and I thought, no, I'm going to get diagnosed. Doctors said it was at least a three-year waiting list, um, at which point I was almost 57 and I thought I'm not waiting till I'm 60 so I went private um and even going private I I signed up for it in July last year and I got a cancellation in the December I wasn't supposed to even have my assessment until March this year and that was paying the grand um but when I had the assessment it kind of validated my life and lots of things that I've always, I've always told myself I'm thick and lazy, right? And and I never said this to the woman who assessed us, but at the very end, she said to us, I want to say something to you. She said, you are an incredibly intelligent woman. And I laughed at her. And she went, why are you laughing? I said, because I've always told myself I'm thick and lazy. Them's the two things. Uh, or, or stuff like, you stupid bugger. Do you know what I mean? What have you done that for? Oh, you forgot that again. Um, and, and I said, she said, no, she says, to get where you are and yeah. have what you've got, yeah. you without knowing you had it, she said, you've put, obviously put coping mechanisms in place because she says, just listening to you all through your assessment when you've said things like, so I figured out I wasn't very good at that, like the accounts, right? I'm crap. Because I just don't like it, don't like it. So I don't take it in. I could sit with the accountant for the next three weeks and they could explain it all to me now. Yes, yes, and I could make notes. And when they're gone, I look and I think, I don't even know what that means. And know, and be worried sick, because I know when I would come to do QuickBooks that I haven't got a clue. Yeah. So it was a case of, right, well, I'll, the things I knew I wasn't good at, when I took a member of staff on, I'd make sure that they could do that. And she said, you have to be intelligent. Just to think that, you know, so I can't do it, so I'm going to get somebody who can. And I don't even think it was that linear, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think it just kind of happened. Um, yeah, and then she said, and, and lazy, when you've told us, you know, until I lost my dad, I, I had four kids. I did the school run, because Alice is just, she's just leaving college now, I did the school run, for years, I used to go and say to my mum and dad, I used to go and run a business, I used to go back and say to my mum and dad, and, you know, shop, cook, the lot. And I, and, and I thought, how, but 
the lazy bit was I'm disorganised and I'm untidy. And I, you know, so that, that made me look at the pile of dishes or like the washing to put away and think, you lazy cow. But it wasn't. <laughs> just yeah. my brain didn't work the way that neurotypical brains yeah. work. So your question about, yeah, I can't believe I've remembered your question. <laughs> <laughs> your question about how has it changed things. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now that I know the traits of ADHD, like I said to David the other day, I'm tidier. And if you, if I could turn you around, I have post notes all around me desktop. Um, I, I make lists on my phone instead of making them on bits of paper that go in my handbag and get eaten by the bag monster. Yeah, I could never find them again. I, I started to to. It's not as easy as people people go. Well, why don't you just set a timer? You know, why don't you use a calendar? It's not that easy. Yeah. I could be sitting. I could be doing something like this, and it might come to me thinking, right, when I'm finished, I've. I might remember something important. When I'm finished, I'm going to put that in my calendar, but it's not still going to be there when I'm finished. <laughs> it's, it's going to be gone. Um, so I have started to put more things in place and I started medication on my birthday in January. It's the only reason I remember when it was, because it was on my birthday. Um, and I, I thought it changed my life because all of a sudden, I didn't, I didn't realise that I would put in conversations. I didn't know I was doing that until these tablets stopped it from doing it. And I was sitting, the first day I took one, I was sitting at work and we were having a, we were having a chat in the uh, office. And I waited till people had finished to say something. And I was like, what's going on? <laughs> this is in my head. What's going on? God, I used to just like uh-huh. put in. And I used to say things like, I'm going to say this now because I'm going to forget if I don't say it now. Um, but last week I decided to come off the medication. because yes it helped us focus but I didn't feel like me Um, and I was a bit worried about what I was going to be like if I came off it because I I don't know whether I'd made it a magic pill Um, but as I've told you you know before we started this stuff happened this week and I've been absolutely fine great and I feel like myself again yeah and I'm you know what I'm gonna just accept me yeah. The the way I am, quirks and all, yeah. and the daft things that I say, and you know, the daft things that I do, but embrace the awareness. And yeah, just keep adding, adding to things that I've already done. And you've done some fantastic things, Heather, and let's talk about like your new venture. Right, so you've got your your amazing shop, Alice Elizabeth Bridal. Um, you've got some fantastic people around you as well. Have you kind of brought? You, you've talked about your entrepreneur tendencies there, with because this is this is a classic entrepreneur behaviour is bringing the right people around you, which is what I'm really good at is bringing fantastic people together in a team. Just talk us through how it works in the bridal shop and what what goes on. Right. So it's all a little bit upside down at the minute because I've got my lovely Anne-Marie who worked for us more or less from day one, had an operation just after my dad died and there was complications and she's still off. Now Anne-Marie was like my memory <laughs> um, and 
I hope, I really hope she does come back. I, I just don't know what's going to happen. So um, I've got Lauren, who's my manageress, because she's quite techy mm-hmm. um, and logical. She's on maternity leave. <laughs> Honestly, this year has been entertaining. Um, but she comes back next next month. She comes back in August. Um, Shannon, who is a designer and seamstress, is absolutely brilliant. Um, we we very much think the same when it comes to how we alter the dresses. Um, but she's really organised and logical, and she's kind of stepped in to do a lot of the things that Lauren used to do. And then Andrea, who Andrea is. So now, so do you do this? Because I know I'm guessing that you've kind of diagnosed yourself. I diagnose people. Like Andrea is, oh, she is the stereotypical ADHD. Um, <laughs> she's as daft as a ship's cat. She's like, but the the customers love her. So Andrea is um, works in the boutique selling with the brides. The brides absolutely love her. She's crackers. She trips over herself. She's she says things back to front. Um, She's just, she's wonderful. So, like, everybody does different things and, and covers different bases. So, me and Andrea sell, you know, we do, we, I, I just, I like to do a little bit of everything. So, I'm up the studio, especially this time there, I'm up the studio, sewn, um, and then I'm down seeing brides. Um, the fitting bit, the alterations is the love of, that's my, you know, you could spend £3,000 on a dress, but if somebody alters a crap, it's going to look rubbish. You could send 200 quid on a dress, somebody alters it well, it's going to look amazing. So that, the fitting bits, like, my passion. Um, me and Shannon do them this last week, bless her. She's stepped into the the busiest week of the year and my mum was poorly. Um, and I had to go to the home. Um, Lauren will come back and she'll just step straight into, like, all the organised and everything. So, yeah, we all do different things, but it covers all the bases. Who does your social media then? Me. <laughs> so or not at the minute is the case. <laughs> so this was one of the reasons I decided to come off the medication because um I I, I know I, I realized that I just kind of so the medication only lasts about 12 hours and I'm at work through the day. And so I would sit on a night and do stuff for social media. And when I got to a night. I was just like switched off, like, and it, I'm going to say switched off, but the old things came back where a hundred things were in my head to do at once. And I, I, I just couldn't decide what to do. And I kind of, I went back to that paralyzation thing again where, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to take a step back from everything. I'm going to come off the medication. I'm going to take a step, step back from everything. And I'm going to look at my life again and, and, and get priorities in place again. And kind of, that's where, that's where I'm at now. Um, but one of the big things I've realised is that doing this today is massive for me because I've hid behind everything my whole life. My shop's called after my daughter. My dad used to say, what's it not called have a heart before? Um, I've just hid because I would say to my kids and anybody who knows this, Whatever the people think about it is none of your business. It does not matter, whatever. But I wasn't practicing what I was preaching. Um, really, what people think of me bothers us. And I and I, I realised that a few months ago, and I've been working on it. Um, 
I think that goes back to ADHD as well, because it's about self-esteem and self-worth. Um, so I've been been working on that and I decided that this was the first thing I was going to do. And then I'm going to get out there on social media because when I'm in the shop, people, is, when I start talking about bridal and how I want you to feel, brides go, I could stand here and listen to you all day. I'm sure I've said that to you before. Um, I hear it all the time and I, and I think, oh, well, maybe I should go on social media and do it as well. Oh, I'll, I'll go and make a dress. Like I taught I myself out of it and I'm not going to. I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to talk myself out of anything ever again. And that's awareness. Now I know that that was the ADHD. I'm like, right, bugger you, ADHD. I'm going to put myself out there. You know what will happen? You've got this fantastic community because you are quite a, a quiet member of the lounge, I would say. I read everything. You've, you've been, I can tell you do. And you've been <laughs> in, uh, you've actually been in since February 2021. It's two and a half years old. Right, I, I would have guessed about two years. Yeah. I cannot remember if your daughter-in-law to be told me about it, Amy Jones, or whether I, I feel like something happened at that time. I can't whether she told me about it or whether I found it and I told her. I think, I think Amy might have told me. Told you, that's what I think it happened. But although you, 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 like, you know, there's no judgment on how involved people get. They yeah. Get involved as you want if there's no expectations. What do you get from the lounge? Ah, uh, do you know what? I go in and I see people who are struggling and I, I want to help them. But I haven't turned it around and got out of it what I should be getting out of it. And again, this is part of the awareness I've had recently. Um, but one of there's I have had a lot out of it because I've worked with um Katie Story. Yes. Um, Story Major. Um, I've worked with Phelpsy. I've, oh God, you know what? I wrote a list. I don't know what I did with it. I should put it on my phone. Um, <laughs> who else? I found Alice Slee, who did some branding photography. Um, somebody built me website. I've I found lots of people in there. I do ask if there's somebody I'm looking for. I always go to the lounge and ask because I know you're going to get down to earth people from i know they're not all from around here but they all feel like they are yeah. do you know what i mean this goes to living away when you live away people are not the same yeah. <laughs> but in the lounge everybody just seems to be the same where you do actually want to help mm -hmm. um yeah and i do dip in and out and i read i do read a lot but again i'm fr I, I, i'm not i'm not i'm going to stop saying i'm frightened i used to be frightened to put myself out there, but I'm not going to be anymore. So, putting yourself out there, Heather, mm. tell us what, what's next. What's the plan? It keeps changing. <laughs> um, I've so, in amongst all everything that went on, I trained to be a life coach. I did some life coach training, and that's why I met Sarah Phelpsy. Um, <clears throat> and then we got into the thick of the bridal season and stuff happened and I'm going to go back and see her again. I couldn't quite decide who it was I wanted to work with. I have done some work for free um, with people to, to get experience coaching. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was more with people who'd had like massive trauma in their lives, one in particular um, that I worked with. 
but I don't think that, oh, that was really rewarding. I don't think that's where I want to go. I, I was 48 when I started Alice Elizabeth, and I didn't think about this until I've started to write stuff down. I like to journal. I like, it's a good way, especially with ADHD, to get it all out of your head like a brain dump. You look at it and you think, what the hell? But <laughs> it's lunatic. <laughs> but then you can kind of make sense of things. And I've been struggling recently with thinking I'm too old. Um, and then I started to look at, hang on, you were 48 when you started Alice Elizabeth. It's only nine years down the line, I'm 57. And ADHD and the menopause together are not very good. That was that was how they said, the counsellor said that um, grief and the menopause had exacerbated the symptoms of ADHD and that's how it's all come to light now. Well, that's that's on the on the cusp of me then, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> HR, HRT, get the lot. Anything you took at you. I've got it. I've taken HRT already. Yeah. Um, it's saved my life, HRT. I've even got testosterone. I've got the most amazing advanced nurse practitioner who's like really up to date with it all. Um, and it has, it's changed my life that. Um, so yeah, I was going through this thing of like, and I think this might have been grief as well. Like, I felt like I didn't have anything to look forward to. Like, I'd done it all. And I go out with my friends from school. Friends from school. It's 40 years since we left. Um, and they all talk about retirement, and that scares me. I'll be at work on the morning of my funeral. I'll, I'll have a frock to finish. I'm sure I will. <laughs> um, I can't I can't sit back. really scares me. But also, having ADHD, I'm always looking for the next thing. So I was kind of confused with, but then people talk about retirement and you've come this far, what can you do next? And and I, I won't leave bridal. I love bridal. That's that's my passion. But I want to do something else as well. And I want to help people. So <laughs> I've gone a long way around to get to. Okay. I think I want to work with people, with women who are like 45 and over who think there's nothing for them because the kids have left home. They might have done a, a job that they just did around the kids while they watched the husband have a career. There's lots of different scenarios, isn't there? Um, I think I think that that's what I want to do. And now that I'm kind of pulling myself together again, I'm going to go back and do some more work with Sarah so that I can pin it down. You yeah. know, and because I think that one of the biggest things I've learned having Alice Elizabeth is your ideal client's everything. It is everything. And you can choose who their ideal client is. And it's usually yourself at some point in your life. And it, at 45, I'd come home from Suffolk with a new baby with four kids and thought life was over. And look where I am. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much for all of that. That is just, what an insight into your life, man, Heather. Phenomenal. It's a bit, bit different to what you thought. So before we we go, we of course are going to do the part of the show, which is called Why I Lass. Why I Lass. Right. I have some questions from the team in here. Um, they knew I was interviewing you. Oh. I wonder if one of them is going to be the question I get asked the most if you could design a dress for anybody who would it be <laughs> I 
Oh, this is a bit different. So this is from Mirren. And she said, if you had to choose a Disney princess, who would it be and why? Belle. <laughs> oh, straight in there. Absolutely, Belle. Belle, because she told Gaston where to go. She didn't need a man. <laughs> he was an arsehole anyway, wasn't he? He was, wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> um, she always had her head in a book. I said, David, when we bought this house, can we have a library and can I have a ladder? I'll make myself a yellow frock and I'll whiz around the, <laughs> around the library. Um, I d There's lots of reasons. Belle loved her dad. Her dad was everything, wasn't he? Um, she wore, I mean, all the Disney princesses wore beautiful dresses. Um, she saw the best in people. You know, didn't matter what the base looked like. She <laughs> saw what was inside. Oh. Yeah, I just yeah, it's always been Belle. Fabulous. And if you could give one piece of advice to anyone, any woman going into business, what would it be? I'm gonna do two, right? First of all, it's never too late, right? But um from the very start, and this is a mistake I made. I wish I'd done it then. Decide how you want your business to work around your life, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise it takes over your life. And as much as my business is like, I love it. I love everything I do. I missed out on a lot with my kids and my family because I'll be like, oh, it's fitting day. I, I, I cannot make it to looking around that school. Or do you know what I mean? It doesn't have to be like that. You're in charge and you can set boundaries and you've got to decide. I think decide what you want your life to look like and fit your business around it. Well, I love it. I try to do that now. It's hard, but I try to do that now. And was there a second one you said? The other, the other one was, it's never too late. Ah, yes, it's never too late. It's not, it's not, it's like... I look at me little mum, bless her, and she, she does, like, sewing and stuff like that, and I think she would, would think, well, what could I ever do now? And I'm like, it's never too late. Yeah. Do you reckon she could alter wedding dresses? Because I'm always looking for another thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think she'd have a heart, heart attack. That's not pretty do that. Listen, Heather, that's been absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, God, so many things people are going to relate to. Um, I can't wait for people to listen to this. Your next life coaching journey, I think, is going to be so exciting. So keep us informed. And uh, I want to see you talking about it in the lounge. I was going to say, I've said it now, haven't I? Yeah. All right. See you later. Thanks for joining us. Bye. It's the Lasses Who Lounge. The Northern Lass Lounge for badass business lasses. Lasses Who Lounge. It's pure juice. It's the Lassie's Who Lounge. Ari. Uh,